I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. In 2021, data flows from multiple pathways to a marketer's desk, and the insights generated from those data sets feels endless. But one thing is becoming increasingly apparent. Despite the information you have on hand, it's still never enough. 33% of marketers say they are completely satisfied with their ability to use data to create more relevant customer experiences. Only a third feel like they have ability to use data to create a customer experience that's relevant. Think about all the relevancy that we now have with brands, but to think that only a third of marketers think that they're able to do it. To me, that's the opportunity for marketers to figure out how do I go from not just using data, but it's that relevant customer experience that I think is really interesting because relevant can mean so many things. On this episode of Marketing Trends, Edward McDonald, the Executive Vice President and Chief Revenue Officer for Marketing Cloud at Salesforce, returns to discuss the future of marketing. Plus, he explains how remote work is enabling marketers to build the most talented teams possible thanks to software that allows them to succeed from anywhere. Ed also explains why it's time to focus on reskilling the modern day marketer. Enjoy this episode. This message is brought to you by Salesforce. Hey marketers, today's B2B buyers are more complex than ever, and every buying committee has different needs and goals. Salesforce can help. We'll show you how to put each and every customer at the center of your B2B marketing strategy, and you'll learn how top brands like Lyft approach account-based marketing. Salesforce, market to every account, speak to every buyer. Find free B2B marketing and ABM resources at sfdc.co slash every dash buyer. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends. And today we are joined by a very special and recurring guest. Ed, how are you? Great, Ian. How are you? It's crazy that last time we had you on the show, <laughs> what feels like actual lifetimes ago, and we were we were sitting in, in downtown Chicago uh, recording in person. And, and here we are quite literally years later uh, uh, recording this one uh, remotely. Well, Marketing Trends has has been soldiering on almost at our one millionth uh, listener, which is insane to think about. And, you know, I think a huge part of it is due to you because of the amazing work you did on your episode. So uh, kudos to you, Ed. You know, I can't take all the credit, Ian, but it's fun to take a little bit of the credit. I, I and, and let me just say congratulations. I, I follow Marketing Trends uh, pretty religiously, and I love the episodes. I thought your episode with uh, Joy Corso from Bonage recently was amazing, and hearing her talk about solutions and how they think about solutions from a marketer's perspective to drive different outcomes, I just thought it was brilliantly stated and really well done. And congratulations on getting to that millionth that millionth view. I think it's just incredible. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a heck of a ride, and it is in fact due in a small part to you because you did play a part. So. Today, we wanted to talk future marketing uh, and some macro trends that we're seeing. Uh, you have a really cool vantage point um, as, uh, as CRO of Marketing Cloud to be able to both see from a, uh, from a MarTech position where the market is heading, but also because you talk to so many CMOs 
and you're getting so much feedback that way. And then obviously, you know, from a bunch of the data that you all develop uh, internally at Salesforce. Um, but so I, I, I kind of think of this episode as kind of getting Ed's take on the world uh, and and hearing uh, all the all the sights and sounds that you're seeing. Um, but before we get into that, you recently had a, a job change. And so what what's it like to be CRO Marketing Cloud? Oh, wow. It's incredible. For the past you know, call it 10 years, I've just developed this incredible passion for marketers and being able to, to, to service the marketing community is uh, the, the best privilege of, of my career. And so it's been an incredible run to get to really communicate with our global, uh, our global workforce and to really play a part in how we're thinking about the future of marketing cloud and how that relates to the future of marketing uh, and partnering with incredible people, both at Salesforce and within our customers and, and our partner community, it is easily the greatest privilege I've had in my career, Ian. So I'm, I'm over the world excited. And what does that day-to-day look like for you? Uh, how, how, are, how are you working day-to-day uh, on, on this stuff? Because it seems like, you know, marketing cloud being obviously at the... Uh, and, and Salesforce, from a broader perspective, kind of at the at the center, putting that customer in the center of everything, as you all talk about a lot. And marketing cloud, you know, marketing, you know, feels more. I mean, obviously, we're we're biased, but it feels more important than ever, right? I mean, you spend a lot of time in sales, and it seems like marketing is closer to the customer than ever before. We're getting more data than ever about the customer. It seems like that this is just you know quite a time to be alive, as they say. <laughs> Um, it's interesting, right? What did the the pandemic and 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 what did COVID, you know, kind of kind of how did they impact marketing and impact marketing differently? They really they really accelerated the need for digital connection, right? We were we were all so used to human to human connection, and what did human to human connection look like? But then the world had to go digital and go digital fast, and who is at the front of already trying to solve digital? But it was the marketing world. And so to me, the most incredible transformation that's happened in the role in the the office of marketing is it's a board level role now. They're at the board table. They are the chief growth officers of many, many organizations, whether that is a financial service bank, whether that's a high technology company, whether it's a healthcare system, like it doesn't matter what industry or what customer however you term customer you serve, you are, if you're, if you're in the marketing office, your role has fundamentally shifted from a relevance perspective in such a great way. And, and that is to me, what's most exciting and, and what makes this job and this role so interesting. You know, my day-to-day is it's customers and partners and strategy of how we think differently about the forwardness of of our marketing technology stack and how we serve our customers best, but also how do we bring that back to Salesforce? And what I've always, what I say to my teams, Ian, is you know we have the privilege of working for a super high growth company in a super high growth category of CRM, and we happen to be the fastest growth category in CRM from a marketing perspective. So like those things start to add up, and and you have fun. Yeah. So. You know, you touched on something that I think um, we we could use some of some of Ed's advice here because you mentioned how CMOs are you know becoming part of the board more than ever now, and I feel like there's a sense that you know some CMOs don't feel 
that way at their particular roles or they feel like they might be getting left behind? Like, What advice would you have for those CMOs who want a bigger seat at the table and want to figure that that piece out? Because I know you've partnered with some really ace marketers in your career that have figured that out and are sitting in boards now uh, at, at many companies. Ian, I think what's interesting is for so long, we categorized marketers. You were a brand marketer, or you were this type of marketer, or you were that type of marketer. And when I look across now, there, there's roles and functions, and, and we definitely have a skills problem across marketing, Like, the, and, and I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on that a, a bit today. But I love the CMOs that are redefining their brand as it relates to the values of their organization. And, and that would be my, you know, as I talk to, to CMOs and marketers across the world, that those are the questions. It's how are you communicating the values of your organization out into your, your external stakeholders? And do they have a connective tissue back to you that they feel like they are uh, invested in the success of what you do and what you can deliver for them? And the marketers that are that that are that are leaning in on on that whole values create value notion, I think, are really finding that they are getting much more mind share and wallet share of of their organization. And so, lean into how do you communicate your brand? And it's not it's not about what content did you deliver or what or what email program are you running or what's your campaign or what's your media spend like. All of those are factors of having a great brand message. And I think that brand message is where you see certain companies have leaned really hard into that and and they've had a lot of success. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you say that. I think I think it's one of those things that, you know, a lot of a lot of CMOs come in and, and want to switch, you know, change some stuff on the website and change some stuff on the messaging and change some stuff here and there. Which again, that's not to say that that stuff doesn't need to happen in a lot of cases. But I think it's a great point to to kind of immediately maybe come in and say, what are the values? How are we living these? How can I better live these? Um, and and demonstrate that because I think that that is something that everyone is watching, right? Like all the rest of the board is watching. Uh, your senior leadership team is watching. Your investors are watching. And you know, it's not about towing the company line. It's like, are you are you kind of walking the walk? Well, and yeah, and and I saw this recent study about kind of not even millennials anymore, like millennials are the new Gen X, which is kind of scary, Uh, but Gen Z and how they consume information and where they consume information and how they make their, you know, what their decision hierarchy looks like. And I was fascinated, Ian. 51% of those surveyed in Gen Z get their brand information from TikTok and YouTube. Yep. Not television anymore, right? So, and I'm sure lots of marketers know that. And how are you pivoting towards that? kind of community, um, they're also much less likely to stay affiliated with your brand if they don't feel connected to it. So one, if you can't connect to them in places that they are right now, which are pretty foreign, like give me the marketers that really know how to take advantage of TikTok. Because totally, I, I, and that's not to say that marketers haven't figured it out, but who's figured it out at scale where it's not just dumping ads, but really thinking about TikTok as a strategy for marketing. And then how do you create affinity through that channel, which is fundamentally different than every other channel that you've ever done? Back to the skills question is, how are we shifting the skills of the marketing organization to these new paradigms and vehicles of where folks consume and, and, and where customers consume information? 
Yeah, it's a it's a it's a great point, and especially when you have a a channel like that that is so full of those early adopters of you know young people and trying to figure it out and trying to figure out you know the difficulty. I, I think it speaks to this understanding or or potentially a misunderstanding of who the heck our customers are, right? And this has been like one of the things this year that has been more prescient than ever is like, do we actually know our customers as well as we think we do? So like, have you, what have you seen from that perspective of, of people trying to figure out, you know, how, how, who, who their customers are better than, than ever before? Yeah. I, I mean, you've seen this explosion of this category called customer data platform. And how do we get to customer data platform and what does it mean? And, and I'll tie this back to your question a touch. I think marketers, I remember talking to a marketer, it was a couple of years ago, um, and it's, it's, a, it's somebody that's in, in the retail market, and it was the CEO of this, this massive retail uh, organization. And I asked him, I was like, what, what are you really trying to solve? He goes, Ed, I'm trying to solve one thing. When I go into my IT organization and I need a segment, it takes six days to get my segment back from my marketers. And by the okay. time I get that segment back, it's wrong. And so, you know, fast forward to today, what are marketers trying to solve? That it, 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 You can use drop terms like real time or instant, like whatever, but what marketers are really trying to solve is this, and it's age old, it's right message, right moment, you know, right vehicle. Like, what does that look like? And what I think is really interesting is that uh, North Star hasn't changed but how we think about achieving that North Star has fundamentally changed and our ability to achieve it has fundamentally changed. Those, those I think, are two things. If, if you rewind five years ago, that was hard. Like the marketing technology stack wasn't ready for it. Marketers weren't ready for it. Um, consumers and customers weren't necessarily ready for it. You had everybody that was thinking about it and wanted it, but nobody was really, quote unquote, ready for it. And now you have this massive paradigm shift where if you aren't at the vehicle that I'm using at that moment in time, whichever device or, or, or medium that I want information, and if it isn't relevant to what I'm thinking about at that moment, and it's not at that moment that I'm thinking about it the most, like that's where data is playing a brand new role in this whole ecosystem of marketing. And it's how this whole notion of CDP has come to exist, which is marketers want for lack of a better term, they want control of their data so that they can be agile versus other types of strategies, right? What agility, what elasticity, what real-time mechanism can they put towards the consumer and how do they do that with a uh, much more sophisticated, robust data platform behind them that allows them to power it? It's funny, I was talking to, to a pal of mine who's a CMO, publicly traded company, and she said that the first year was just untangling the website and the data of where everything was at. Of just like literally, she's like just nonstop untangling of all this stuff because it was just it was data was everywhere, information was everywhere, the every stuff was on the website that was everywhere, and it was just like 
pure, like a full year as CMO. And it's like, because you can't do anything without that, right? Like, yeah, you can keep running your, you know, demand gen plays, you know, your salespeople can keep closing deals. Like, you know, the, the company doesn't, it got to where it was, you know, based off this. It's not, you know, it's not like, it's not broken, but, but it just shows like, if you're only marketing with like this giant legacy, um, you know, tanker sitting in the sitting in the bay, and you've only been running speedboats for the last you know few years, then those are all your campaigns. Like you said, at some point you got to go, you know, fix fix the engine and and rework it. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. We just did a big survey. Thirty three percent of marketers say they are completely satisfied with their ability to use data to create more relevant customer experiences. Think about that. A third of marketers, and I don't remember how many we surveyed. It was in, you know, kind of five figures out there, but only a third feel like they have ability to use data to create a customer experience that's relevant. That's yeah. bananas. When you it's crazy. I mean, we're in 2021, right? And you think about all the relevancy that we now have with brands, but to think that only a third of marketers think that they're able to do it. To me, that that's the opportunity for marketers to figure out. How do, I, how do I go from not just using data, but it, it's that relevant customer experience that I think is really interesting because relevant can mean so many things. But that's what I, I think that's the North Star for a lot of marketers is what's relevant to my customer, my consumer, my partner, like whoever I'm trying to reach. And how do I create this experience with them that allows them to be so connected to, to us as a brand that that affinity lasts forever? For sure. I mean, and, and that's part of the thing that I think, you know, you get this unease with a lot of folks when you're talking, gosh, that's a, that's a third um, of people that's so crazy that feel satisfied with that. And it just speaks to this unease, right? This like collective, like, eh, I don't really feel that confident in the way that we're, we're running these campaigns the way that, that I could. And, you know, that lends to uncertainty in your efforts when sales asks you the questions you don't feel like you really have the right answers. That's right. Um, you know, and that's just, you know, generally speaking, even if you create some extremely well-crafted campaign, are we really even getting the value out of this? Like, do we know, you know? Well, and, and that continues to be, again, you go back to things that marketers continue to look at solving, which is just that, what is the impact that we're truly having whether that's on the growth formula of the organization or, or the growth results of the organization and how do you attribute it back? And I, I, again, I, I think it's such a fascinating, it's such a fascinating world to be a part of because of the complexity of the problem that exists. Uh, and that's, you know, back to your very first question, like, am I enjoying the role? Like, tell me a role better that you have a bigger problem to solve that, that has so much opportunity associated with it. Well, I, it's just funny. We always talk about market opportunity, especially in like the venture capital world, world and all that stuff, right? You always talk about like these these opportunities and you're thinking like, what, you know, that MarTech landscape with, yeah. with 8,000 companies, all that stuff. And we still have two thirds of people that aren't happy with how their data is being used, right? You're like, clearly we're not solving it, you know, or we're not working the problem the right way or, or leveraging the tools the right way. So it, it just speaks to... To that. And I think, you know, a similar issue to this, which I'd like your take on, is that you have this customer satisfaction metric that is now being either owned or partly owned or uh, is more important to marketers than ever, you know, whether that's 
you know, NPS or, or whatever customer satisfaction means to you and your company, you know, 10 years ago, this, the CMO was not tracking NPS, right? I mean, maybe the company was tracking it, but like the CMO was not, it was not full, full cycle, like life cycle, right? So what does this mean? Again, it goes back into that just amazing inflection point of transformation that we're in. Uh, I'll tie this back to a different question you asked, which is just around how do you measure success of, of marketing? And if you would have asked years ago, like, is customer satisfaction or is our service score related to marketing? A bunch of people back then would have shrugged their shoulders and said, eh, eh, maybe. Um, now it's directly correlated. Like if your marketing efforts aren't directly tied to, to your customer consumer experience, then you're missing an opportunity. You know, if, if a customer has an open service case with you, are you still sending a promotional email to them? Like, are you missing a moment where you 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 want to stay back to relevant, right? And I just had an interesting experience with a very well-known brand uh, where something was broken. I had an open service case and every day I was getting, you should be doing more with us. And it's like, well, I actually physically can't because what you gave me is broken. <laughs> so, and, and such a missed opportunity to think about me differently from, from that type of experience. But, you know, I, I would say eight out of 10 marketing organizations right now have, have reprioritized the way they think about CSAT, NPS, like they're the value equivalency of owning customer experience and owning, owning the success of it is, is so much different post-pandemic. And I know we're not in a post-pandemic, but, but that post-pandemic learnings, how's that, uh, than it was 18, 20 months ago. It's crazy, right? And I, and I just wonder if, you know, I wonder if it's technology catching up. I wonder if it's something like everyone focusing on, you know, customer journey or customer, customer life cycle or LTV, or I wonder if like customer lifetime value as such an important metric in SaaS companies, that piece speaking to more of the life cycle has permeated into marketing in terms of like life cycle marketing in a way that um, has changed. Because I think that, you know, the older, the older thing of like marketing gets leads, turns them over to sales, they close them new logos, you know, oh, happy day onto the next, like is so gone. It's been gone for a while. Um, but then what does that mean? Right. It means that it's not just about leads. It's about, you know, life cycle. It's not just about closing deals. It's about life cycle. And therefore you need new metrics to track that stuff. Are they as happy as they were a year ago today? Are they as you know? Are they as happy as they were three years ago? Like, is this honeymoon phase wore off and they're going to churn now because they're not as happy of an account? Like, those are now marketing touches in that process, which is crazy because um, that's not necessarily where we used to be. I, I think SaaS, for lack of a better term, I think SaaS accelerated this whole notion of subscription marketing. Mm -hmm. Like, it, it it goes well beyond like Salesforce, big SaaS company, right? Like, we do much more of that, but. And I do think we were a pioneer, trailblazer. We were a trailblazer. I should use that. We were a trailblazer in this whole notion of, of really changing the business model of technology to subscription. But Netflix, they're, they're subscription sure. marketers. Their, their roles as marketers are not that different than somebody that sits at, at Salesforce Tower in San Francisco, right? Like They need to acquire new customers. They need to be able to retain them with great content. They need to manage churn on a month-over-month -month basis. Uh, they need to be innovative in the content that they deliver so that they're able to retain those. Like 
And you need to be able to have a brand message if you're Netflix that says, oh, by the way, we're different than Disney Plus or Hulu. And this is why you want to stay with us versus going to another subscribe, another subscription based service. And I'm just using that as an example. But the folks at Disney Plus streaming and the folks at uh, Paramount, like they're all faced with this brand new, interesting challenge of subscription marketing. And I just saw... Oh, I wish I could remember the manufacturer that I saw this, but they just released an app. It might've been like, I don't, I don't want to speculate as the one I saw, but I was thinking to myself, like these folks make like really large equipment things. And now they're publishing an app and their app is all about acquiring new subscribers to the way they think about the manufacturing supply chain. I'm like, whoa, that's crazy. But I believe there's a category that is developing called subscription marketing it goes beyond technology, right? It's, it's beyond sales lead equals funnel equals sales converting it. It's just about what is your acquisition strategy? How do you have amazing content? And content can mean a thousand different things, but how do you have amazing content to keep folks engaged? Are you able to manage the churn side of your business in a different way to keep folks connected to your brand? Yeah. And it, you know, it's funny. I was talking to a marketer the other day and they're... Um... They were telling me about their uh, basically like please don't leave us email, and they're it's like the break in case of emergency email, yeah. and they were like, "There's one data point that if this is triggered, it's like okay, this is this is bad. They might leave us." And they send their like their this email that basically is kind of rescues the deal. And they I fr- I don't know the exact number, but I think she said that they decreased churn like fifty percent because of that email, and it's like. You know, this is something that for years I would hypothesize that that was a salesperson sending that email. That was that was a salesperson saying like checking in with them, being like, "Hey, are you good? Like, is everything good?" Right. And then you know, like having that thing. But now we have you know bottom up processes. You're buying software. You're never talking to a salesperson. There's no human being that potentially ever is in that conversation you might be sending them a million emails. So like, how do you break through the noise? How do you determine, like leverage your data to, to find those triggers, to figure that stuff out? I, I think it's, um, Jason Lemkin always talks about like, churn is not a thing. It's someone quit you, like someone fired you, right? right? Like, it's not like churn just like happens, right? It's not like, oh, I, I, planted, I planted the potatoes this year and they didn't get big. It's like, no, that was you failing your customer. It's not like a magic thing. Yeah, and- and just think about that whole notion. Think about the unit economics associated with that story you just told. And now you're a marketer and you can walk in and say, our program reduced churn by 50%, which added to our growth formula at the top line in a different way, because that now you didn't have to add as many new subscribers, as many new customers, as many new XYZ, because we helped reduce churn by 50%. Now, that is an insanely powerful board message, if you ask me. So another thing I want your take on is obviously pandemic accelerated this remote hybrid sort of a a work. We have no idea what's coming. Um, We have no idea how this is going to play. But uh, clearly, especially in marketing, where so many people are spread out, it's a it's, you know, a, a, you know, laptop necessary uh, profession. And there's a potential that people are working all over the place like they are now. So what, what, what do you think about where we're headed with, with hybrid, with remote? What, what's going on? 
I, I can only give you my opinion on this, right? There's a lot of people out there publishing a lot of studies on where we're going with remote versus hybrid versus in office, et cetera. Um, I'll start with what an opportunity it represents for organizations because you no longer need to hire that marketer in New York City or Miami mm -hmm. or San Francisco. You get to go hire the best person for the, the skill and the role that you're looking for regardless of where they are in the universe. And I think that's just an, especially for the, the Office of Marketing, that is maybe the most amazing opportunity that's represented. It also poses this incredible this incredible need to figure out, well, how do you work? What does work look like in this distributed workforce? And, and how do you create this? Uh, we call it success from anywhere. Like, how do you create that success from wherever you are in a completely virtual distributed team? And a lot of that, I, I think, is about what's your, what, what are the agreements you have as a team? How do you think about collaboration? How do you think about uh, workflow, whether it be content creation, whether it be approvals, whether it be your budgeting process, how are you tying all that together and leveraging technology differently than you might have, have done before? You know, we like to say when, when the work flows well, demand and relationships grow well, right? So when you're able to create your work in a marketing organization that has tremendous flow to it from your creative process to your execution process, that allows all of your relationships with your end customers to grow at, a, at an accelerated rate, whether that be in your journey orchestration, whether that be in your account-based marketing, how you think about analytics. To me, it's about how do you tie together the work. Um, we at Salesforce, you know, surprise, we use Slack <laughs> to, to help tie all of that together. But it, it's tools such as Slack where you need to be able to have, one, you have to have trust. So you have to have a value of trust across your marketing organization that allows folks to not have to be in an office. You also need to create an environment of creativity that is different when you can't be around the whiteboard. And what does that look like? And how do you leverage tools like a Jamboard or virtual whiteboards and create space for folks to, to have this still creative conversation about how to approach a particular opportunity? And, and you have to have technology behind you that, that allows for both work to happen, but also for execution to happen. So you, you, this is where your marketing technology stack really comes into play. And, and how are you creating automation of your campaigns, of your creative process, tying those together so that you have this just digital cycle, for lack of a better term, that really has connectivity across all stakeholders. Well, you know, it's so funny thinking about this idea of like Slack first marketing. Um, I, I've thought about this. It's funny before Salesforce acquired Slack, I was, I had been kind of thinking about this for a little while about how before they rolled out the feature where you could have like external teams in. So then you're like, okay, my marketing team now can have all of our vendors in different channels that can all collaborate on this stuff. Now, you know, and obviously there's you know multiple way more phases than I know about that you all are working on with this. The fact that your marketing team can live in Slack and can communicate all that stuff there, work with external people, work creative back and forth, can have those conversations, single source of truth, all your information's in there searchable. I mean, this isn't an ad. I just am like, this is like literally how my team markets. It's how our partners market. And you feel... Like, yeah, this is just how you do it, right? Um, and so it's just, it's interesting, like how quickly something like that could shift. Um, and I couldn't imagine going back to another way. And now think about that shift, right? Because if, if you went on and talked to global marketing leaders two years ago, 
maybe 10, 15% of them would have said that their teams are, are hybrid or remote first. Today, 50% of them are saying they're going to be remote or hybrid first. So what I, what I love about this opportunity and this evolution for the marketing department, Ian, is that we're in, we're in phase zero. Like we're not even in phase one yet. We're still totally. in phase zero of this whole thing. And it's only going to get better. And I'm, I'm partial and biased uh, to Slack. You know, I'll use the ABC commercial, you know, Disney owns us type thing. Like I'm, I'm partial to the whole Slack thing, but it's, it's not about Slack. It's about the connectivity. It's creating workflow for folks to not have to be in the same room together, to still have a uh, tailored and productive experience to get their work done and to do it in ways that um, have much better efficiencies and acceleration of timeline. Yeah. And I think, you know, like you mentioned at the beginning, the ability to get talent from anywhere, the fact that we can have two people from Westchester on this podcast right now and a person <laughs> sitting in the Bay Area and a person uh, sitting in uh, in Florida and all that stuff. It's just like, you know, this is the sort of thing that I think marketers really want the most talented people working on their team. They don't care where they're from. You know, some people want to have have people in a, in a geographic location. I totally understand that. Um, and that's very valid if that's how you want to run your team. But there's a lot of marketers that want the best talent. Uh, no matter where they're from. And technologies enable that sort of stuff to happen. On the other side of that, it's these marketing skills now that it's harder to develop some of those skills when you're not sitting next to a person in real time or might not be, maybe it's not as hard. It's not as familiar as, as us. We don't, we're not used to it yet. Leaders are definitely not used to leading remote, even after doing this for a year. That's nowhere close to the previous, you know, however many years. We had a CMO on this podcast that worked 33 years in person at an office every day, and then now she's running a remote team. She's not ready for that, right? No, it's um, hard. Ian, it's hard. Yeah, it's crazy hard. It's hard. <laughs> like, it's, it's incredible to me that people, sometimes folks, I shouldn't, this is, I don't want to over-categorize this, but... It's, it's hard. This has been hard for many people. Like we went from full human to human connectivity to Zoom in a matter of milliseconds. And then we got Zoom fatigue. And so now we're trying to figure out what the hybrid to Zoom fatigue plus human to human connection can be again. Like it's really hard for folks to navigate through this and to, and to do it with as much grace as I think so many people have done. And, and I don't know that we're applauding ourselves as much as we should be for the grace that has been displayed kind of universally on on these shifts that we've had to make so quickly. But back to your skills conversation, because I agree with you, there's a skills gap. Yeah. So so clearly, so a new type of marketer is required. You know, like we talked about, you know, this isn't back in the day where we're sitting there writing, you know, a bunch of things on a whiteboard to figure out the phrase. And then that's all over our marketing forever. You know, it's we're not making billboards anymore. I mean we're Maybe, uh, but that's not all we're doing. Uh, and that's been obvious for some time. You have to know, have a like digital uh, fluidity that you can use a bunch of different tools. So the first issue is skills are changing super quickly. Second issue is training people is now totally different because it's remote. And the marketing teams, you know, we don't necessarily know where we need people you know, skilled up at any given time. So what is, what is reskilling look like for marketing leaders, for marketing teams? To me, this is, again, this amazing inflection point that's, that's an opportunity for everybody. I love this shift that marketers are currently in because it's, 
it's not just a technology shift. The technology is an enabler underneath a lot of it. But if you kind of look across a couple of categories, you know, marketers don't lack creativity, but they now need to rethink the way a creative um, environment looks like. And so how are we, how are we providing skills for how to be creative in a remote first world so that, that there, there's a skills gap and a, in many ways, a technology gap behind that. I think content marketing has just fundamentally shifted from content library to, to, to the connectivity back to creative and, and then the connectivity back to, like I said, the values create value conversation. Does your content speak to who you represent as an organization? I, I, I think there's just this amazing opportunity there. We, we just spent a bunch of time on communication and, and kind of how work remote, you know, remote first communication is. And then the two that I think are really interesting that, that do have a big technology flair to them, the whole data analytics conversation, right? So if, if, again, if you go back to the whole notion of a CDP, like how are you ingesting data? How do you harmonize it? How do you unify it? How do you analyze it? How do you activate it, right? Like there's this whole notion of, what, what do those motions look like? It's, it's not hard to go buy a CDP. It's really hard to figure out what your strategy is for using it. <laughs> like, yeah. that, that requires some, some real deep thought and some cross-functional skills that don't exist. And, you know, last time we spoke, you know, I mentioned I was early days, you know, Eloqua. And I remember back then just trying to teach people what marketing automation was like. And I feel like we're in this same kind of early adopter window of, you know, customers need this customer data um, capability, but at the same time, they might not know what to do with it once they get it. And how do we help them build up those skill sets? And then I think there's this whole aspect of digital proficiency that, that is, we are digital first now. Like the mm -hmm. world has went digital first. And we can sit there and say, ah, you know, it'll go back or things will normalize and blah, like we're digital first. Like that's not, that that accelerant has happened. It's here. And the, the teams, the, the marketing teams that have figured that out and building those, those skill sets are, are getting way far ahead. What I think is really interesting on the whole notion of skills, like those are kind of these big create, these are these big themes of skills. What's interesting though, is if you look around the whole training concept, most companies, I would say less than half of companies offer any training around any of these. The, the availability to these types of reskilling outside of MBA programs don't really exist or, or outside of like continuing ed. What's, what's even kind of, if you put on top of that, think about the soft skills that are necessary now, adaptability, emotional intelligence, resiliency. And that does, just doesn't speak to marketing. That's to your workforce today, right? Like maybe a third of companies today are offering those types of soft skills training that are required for their workforce. I'm super proud of Salesforce and the marketing cloud. We launched this amazing program called Marketing Career Paths in June uh, at, our, at our Connections event. And it's all about these skills uh, both soft and and some of the you know the the uh, in-role skills that are required, and I think we're again a trailblazer inside of of that kind of uh, forefront. That's super rad. Yeah, I um I, I look forward to to checking it out. I you know it's so important. I mean, I think that um we underestimate um from a leadership perspective how much kind of like for lack of a better term, monkey see, monkey do sort of a thing that, that like how much leadership in person 
is that, right? It's like, if I can see the way that my boss acts, then like, I know that that is a way to act at this organization and therefore I'm going to act that way. When you don't see your boss other than on, you know, two Zoom calls a day, you know, four times a week or whatever it is, and the rest of the time is, you know, digital communication, those soft skills, like it's really hard to develop them, right? You just don't, you don't hear people talking to customers. You don't hear people, you know, in those sort of, you know, scenarios, you don't see your boss's boss come by and talk to them and, you know, overhear the conversation or whatever it is. Like those type of skills like are learned. And I think that they were learned through that osmosis for for forever. <laughs> um, and when you don't have that, like, you do need to learn it. Like you have to learn those things. It's not, you know, I, I used to say this kind of to my team where it's like, it's not just enough to like do the job. You have to be able to explain what you did because otherwise like you don't get credit for it, right? It's like, if you did all this really cool stuff to create this brilliant campaign with all these, uh, you know, with with some pretty cool copy and a bunch of really cool, uh, you know, data behind it, like, and you can't explain that to anyone else, like, we, we don't know what you did. And like, that's, it's a hard, hard lesson to learn when you're young in your career that like, it's not just enough to be able to be good. You have to be able to explain it. And you have to, and, and think about the urgency that we've lost inside of that whole process where, Hey, I need to get this campaign out or this piece of content needs to get blessed. And man, Ian, I would just love it if you looked at it real quick and kind of did the, the, just the quick sniff test for me. Like, what do you think? Like that's gone. Yeah, you got it. I'm on it. Yeah, like, like, hey, come in. You know, just come over my cube. Just kind of look. Like, yeah, does it make sense? Does it not? Like, that's that has to get replaced with something. And the resiliency and the courage needed to then pick up the phone and call you or send you Slack and say, hey, can you jump on a video with me? I want to show you something real quick. And to hope you're available. Like, all of those things are different, and the human behavior associated with it requires a much different categorization of skill and, and courage. We'll link up uh, the stuff that that you all did in, in June at uh, um, at your event so that so that people can check it out because I do think it's really important that companies take the lead on this stuff. This is like we talk about it all the time, but it's like the the CFO and the and the CEO talking and the CFO says, what if we train people and they leave? And it's like, what if we don't and they stay, right? It's like, this is on you to train your marketers to develop these skill sets. Um, Because if you don't, it's going to be to your detriment. Well, and and just think about the urgency for talent. Careful with my words there. People would use a different word maybe, but there's an urgency for talent out there. For sure. And there's an urgency for certain skills and the companies that help others develop these skills, the, the loyalty you can create to that employee to want to stay based on the investment you made in them are much different than if somebody else calls them and says, oh, you're looking to learn how to drive a new creative process through different tools. Well, we offer that to every single one of our marketers. My, my organization doesn't offer that to me. Oh, okay. The, the jump becomes so easy for that marketer and that urgency of talent. You just lost that urgency of talent. It's, it also speaks to this idea of this digital first. You know, I think with marketing teams now, we also have this other thing, which is we have these like maybe just data-driven marketers or, or you know, it, they're closer to a developer than they are to a, you know, brand marketer, you know, like way closer. And those folks, managing those folks is different. Working with those folks is different. They're, you know, a lot of times have this 
rich digital skill set, this data first skill set that is like off the charts that if you're a CMO, you probably were not raised with that type. I mean, you might be a data first marketer now, but you weren't raised with with that type of, you know, tactical prowess. And figuring out how and where those folks can go and what their pathway is is new. Like we just don't know. And we've seen them become, like you mentioned, the chief growth officers, these people that are just like, you know, the super data-driven person. And that's just, it's an exciting development. And uh, and it's really critical to develop both, you know, the hard skills and the soft skills. Well, just think about this transformation we're in. And, and I'll go back to the generational aspects of it. Like Gen Z, they they can figure out how to write HTML and analyze data at the same time. It's inherent in their skill set based on just who they are and how they've grown up because they've only grown up with digital. So it's so firsthand to them. They know nothing different. And uh, I I just think it's a critical, you know, you go back to training. Are we training our senior marketing executives to understand how to lead such a diverse set of skill sets across their workforce? Because that's another great opportunity. Okay. um, We're getting closer to the end here. All right. And I need some predictions. I need some crystal ball action from you. Um, what are some things that uh, we're going to start seeing uh, popping up here? I don't need to give you no no keys to the castle here. You don't need to share the internal roadmap, but give me give me something that you're that you're excited about or seeing. Yeah, I'll go quick hits for you. Right, um, uh, I think ethical use of marketing data and technology is going to just be critical, especially over the course of the next few years and. I think you're going to see a huge surge on privacy and consent, bigger than GDPR, bigger than CCPA. Like that, we will we will become privacy and consent first as a marketing organization, uh, much more so than we are today. We'll go from data to intelligence really fast. Right now, we're in data, and everybody's thinking about data, but you're going to move to intelligence quickly. And there's lots of lots of data points that will suggest that. With both of those combined. Consumer trust, customer trust, uh, that's gonna, that is definitively something that has to get solved and, and continue to be solved. Uh, and I think that leads into, we are going to see a surge in permission-based marketing. 100%. I totally agree. I mean, I think, you know, I'm not saying, you know, forms are dead here, but like, <laughs> you know, or anything like that, but like, there's going to be a lot more permission-driven stuff and there's going to be be a lot more just like available stuff for people to be able to like tap into, get information. And it's going to be hugely important that you figure out how to be more creative with your more creative with your gated assets because people don't want to give fifty five pieces of information about themselves. That's right. And and if you're doing ABM, you know who these freaking people are, anyways. So like <laughs> you don't need to go you know search and get all that stuff. And so getting people's permission. I think is going to change in a huge way. And like how we get their permission is, is going to change. And, and the other thing I'll say for you know, future prediction, every company becomes a subscription influence-based marketer. Like that, that is the, the, the trend. I don't care who you are. You could be Caterpillar. You could be Disney. You could be uh, Mount Sinai healthcare systems. Like you will become a subscription slash influencer-based marketer. Okay. Last thing here. Our lightning round questions. I have to give them to you because I know we've done the first ones, but you know, you're coming on the show, you're getting the lightning round. Lightning round, as always, is brought to you by Salesforce. 
We love Salesforce and they've been with us since the very beginning of this show. You can go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more about marketing built on the world's number one CRM. Go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more. We love them. Go to salesforce.com slash marketing. Lightning round questions. Ed, are you ready? Ready, Ian. Number one, if you weren't in tech or in sales and marketing, not even in business at all, what do you think you'd be doing? High school teacher, US history, junior year. Love it. Uh, you and you and, uh, uh, and Nate Skinner uh, <laughs> share the passion for, for, for history. Yeah, I would, I'd be teaching everything I could about Alexander Hamilton and the founding fathers at this point in the US history class, like no doubt about it. Okay. Do you have a favorite book, podcast, TV show that you've been checking out recently? Uh, I have a favorite book series that I just read, the Ready Player One, Ready Player Two series that I just read. It's oh, yeah. amazing. Uh, and I've been binging on podcasts with Todd, uh, Tom Coyne, the writer. Uh, he just he wrote three books. One is uh, Golf Courses in Ireland, Golf Courses in Scotland, and he just released his one about America. This dude traveled 50 states, played 300 rounds in eight months and wrote a book about it. And so that's my beach reading for uh, this summer. Is Westchester the best Chester? Ooh, Absolutely. I grew up in Portchester, New York. There's nothing better. Best advice for a first-time chief revenue officer? Ooh, um, be an active listener and learner for as long as you can before you create any action. I love it. Ed, thanks again for joining. Um, any, uh, any final thoughts? Anything to, uh, to plug here? Ian, I am, uh, I am so thrilled to be able to get to spend this afternoon with you and, and to have this conversation again about what I think is just the most incredible topic and opportunity out there in this world of marketing. And I'm very appreciative of you and the mission.org team. So thank you for having me. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining. As always, we'll have you back sooner next time. Not more, more time with that is, is better for everyone. Uh, thanks again. Thank you. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. 
Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.